Chapter 8 of Harry D. or Making It Out This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Charles Lindup Harry D. or Making It Out by Francis J. Finn Chapter 8 In which we fight our battles o'er again and spend a pleasant evening in the infirmary. That Mr. Middleton is one of the pluckiest men alive, observed John Donnell as we took our way home. He can swim with hands and feet tied, added George Keenan. My, it was a sight to watch him making for you, Frank. You'd think he was running in the water. By the way, Tom, what was it he whispered to you and Percy when he dived after Frank? inquired Donnell. Say a Hail Mary, boys. That's all he said. But I tell you, it worked me up. While he was down in the water, I think I got off more genuine praying in those few seconds than I did since the morning I made my first communion. I said the Hail Mary only once. But when I got to the words, Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, oh, didn't I mean it. Yes, put in Percy, that was my prayer too. And really, I never knew before what a beautiful prayer it was. Look here, cried little Frank, perhaps you won't believe me, but it is a fact, even if I can't prove it. After that log struck me, I forgot all about myself. I was, uh, what do you call it? Unconscious, suggested Percy. That's it, exactly. The next thing I knew, I found myself lying on the sandy bottom, and there was a rumbling sound, like thunder in my ears. Now, boys, wasn't I frightened? I felt that I was choking, and that I'd be dead in less than a minute. I was awfully frightened. Just crazy. You understand? Then I remembered, all of a sudden, that I had said the litany of the Blessed Virgin, and would you believe it, I didn't feel one bit scared. No, sir. I wasn't afraid of death, and I just began saying the Hail Mary to myself, and when I got to, now and at the hour of our death, Amen, I felt a hand clutching my arm, and that's all I knew till I found Mr. Middleton and Tom towing me into the shore. Singular, murmured Percy. It looks as though all three of us said the same sweet prayer at the very same time. That's just my opinion, added Tom, and all fell to thinking. Miracle or not, it came home to us that prayer was a practical part of life, and that the mother of God had not been deaf to the wishes of her loving young sodalists. Shortly before supper, Mr. Middleton called Tom aside. Tom, he said, you remember the time Percy crippled himself in running you down out toward Pawnee Creek? Do I? Oh, don't I! And the supper in the infirmary? Yes, indeed, sir. Well, a good thing will stand repetition. You and Percy and Frank need a good rest this afternoon, 
and a late sleep tomorrow, so you needn't mind your night studies. Don't get up till half past seven. There's a priest here staying overnight who will say a mass at half past eight. And by the way, your nervous friend, Harry D., might go along with you. Such a scene as he has witnessed this afternoon may have a bad effect on him. So just as soon as the bell rings for supper, all of you go quietly over to the infirmary. The brother has promised me to give you a good supper. And Mr. Middleton cut short Tom's ardent thanks by hurrying away. I was standing beside Tom as he received this pleasant communication. I had come to look upon Tom as a hero, and I looked at him with some anxiety to hear what he would say. I hope there'll be lots of buttered toast, ejaculated my hero, with no little ardour, saying which he dashed off to communicate the good word to the others. And now for that supper. The reader must excuse me, but I can't bring myself to narrate how these life rescuers demolished the viands. It's too prosaic, and I am tempted even to draw my pen through Tom's remark about the buttered toast. Suffice it for me to say that as they had shown bravery at the river, so they showed appetite at the table, and it struck me with much force that because a boy is good, one has no right to grudge him health and appetite. I had been tossing restlessly in bed for half an hour when someone touched me on the arm. I turned and perceived by the dim light of the lamp that Tom was beside me. His face was beaming with sympathy. Old fellow, he began, you can't sleep, can you? No, I whispered, though I'm very tired. You've got a shaking up from that river business. I'm sorry for you. The very first minute I saw you, I guessed that was the matter. I don't understand you, Tom. Well, simply this. You've been an eyewitness to something terrible, or something in that line. A murder, maybe? I almost leapt from the bed. Pretty good guess, wasn't it? Tom went on calmly. But it's all simple enough. You've got the ways of Jimmy Aldine. Poor Jimmy. He's dead now, my best friend. He had seen a murder. I'll tell you the story some day, and you'll tell me yours, won't you? Indeed I will, Tom. All right. Harry, I'm told your mother is dead. Is that so? And Tom gazed down into my face with a sympathy rare and strange in one of his years. Yes, I said softly, and as I thought of my mother dead, and of her who had filled the place of mother far worse than dead, my eyes filled. Same with me, said Tom gently. I just remember my mother's face. My father says she was a saint. I believe him, and I'm sure she looks out for me. But, Harry old fellow, that's between me and you. I have asked another mother to take the place of the one I've lost. You take her too. For a few minutes we were both silent. Now, resumed Tom, I guess I'll turn in. I'd have gone to sleep at once, only it occurred to me that the excitement had rattled you. 
and so I watched, and saw you tossing and tumbling about, and then I thought we might as well have a little talk. I want you to feel that you're among friends. I thanked him in broken words. What a wonderful power of happiness goes forth in a little kindness. But Tom was even more considerate. His kindness rose to the height of invention. I'll tell you what, he pursued. I'll wheel my bed right alongside of yours, without disturbing the other fellows. Now, if you get nervous or scared, just bang me across the chest. Hit hard, or I won't know the difference. How can I thank you for your kindness? I exclaimed as Tom brought his bed within a few inches of mine. By going to sleep, Tom made answer. You look as though you thought I was doing something extraordinary. Not at all. There's not a boy in the place, almost, who wouldn't have done the same thing if they'd known you were so nervous. You see, I came to notice it because I know how it is myself. A little before the time of Jimmy Aldine's death, I had the horrors every night nearly. And I tell you, I haven't forgotten it either. Well, good night. Remember, we'll try our hands on Cicero's letters tomorrow. And making the sign of the cross, Tom closed his eyes and very, very soon gave evidence, by the regular breathing, that he was fast asleep. His presence had a calming effect upon me, and I felt so happy for all his kind and considerate words. Yes, Tom had ministered to a mind deceased. His kind words hovered brightly in my memory, and soon conducted me into the very brightest and pleasantest spot in dreamland, the spot consecrated in love and purity and innocence and ever hallowed by their priceless presence. End of chapter 8 Read by Charles Lindup Scheslitz, Germany, October the 5th, 2021